looking back now, I think that there's there's a lot of loud, bright, bold colors. And a lot of these colors are referencing palettes that are that are very familiar to me and palettes that I've seen on visits to the Philippines. There's like these really bold and then sometimes really off-putting colors, but then they work in this like really magical way. Like they're not supposed to, but then they do. And they're just intriguing. It's like, I can't stop thinking about them. You're listening to Seamside and I'm your host, Zach Foster. Here we explore the inner work of textiles together. And today we sit down with artist Paolo Arau. Seamsiders, you may have heard, but the Nook is turning two years old real soon. And so to celebrate, I'm giving away two annual memberships good for the entire year of 2024 to two people listening to the sound of my voice right now. I won't be sharing this giveaway anywhere else but here on Seamside, so seems to me your chances are pretty good you could win. To enter the giveaway, there's a link in the show notes below. Drop over there to get your name in the hat, and you have until December 31st. 2023. I'll draw the winners on January 1st, 2024, and the winners will get 12 months of quilty goodness. That's 12 different workshops hosted by visiting artists, 24 sewing circles hosted by me, along with countless other sewing circles hosted by other good folks on the Nook. Every day of the year, there's something happening over on the Nook. There's so much to love. I hope to see you there. The fact that Paolo Rao and I both showed up to this podcast studio wearing orange winter hats and navy hoodies should tell you something about the kindred connection I feel for Paolo. After years of being online friends, we met up for breakfast about a month ago before going to see his most recent show that was about to close. Over a massive and truly delicious breakfast sandwich, we kept discovering commonalities, like the way we think about color, how we navigate creative hiccups, and our shared love of tarot. I knew right away that I wanted to invite him on Seamside so you could get a chance to meet him too. In this conversation, Paolo and I discuss how painting, music, and textiles can all weave together harmoniously in a creative practice, how our bodies can sense the power of textiles, and how working with textiles can increase our tolerance for the unknown. I hope you enjoy How to Bring It All Together with textile artist, Paolo Arau. Paolo, thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Zach, thank you so much for inviting me. Now, can you paint the picture for us a little bit for the listeners? Where are you sitting right now? Right now, I am sitting in my little office library, which is in my house. I live upstate in a little town called West Shokan, New York. It's about two hours north of the city. But you haven't always lived there because you and I, back in the pandemic, were swapping mail when you were here in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I I lived in Brooklyn for 23 years before moving up up here. And my partner and I have been upstate for about two years now. And you came down to the city just maybe, what was it, two or three weeks ago when you and I got together? Yeah, I feel like it was two or three weeks ago. Or two or three months or years. Yeah, what's time? Jeez. Yeah, I think it was a few weeks ago, just before my show closed, and we had that really delicious breakfast. Mm. Empire Diner? Empire Diner, yeah. God, Good stuff. Life. That was beautiful. I'm still digesting that episode. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> yes, that was a lot. Yeah. We're going to get to your show in a minute, but 
Paolo, one of the things that you and I discovered over that breakfast together is that we both have a love of tarot as a tool for self-reflection and exploration. And so I thought it might be fun for us this morning sitting down together if we each drew a card at the beginning of this conversation just to see what that how that might inform our talk. I think that's amazing. Okay, you got your deck. Yeah, what is what what deck do you have? I got one. And it's just a classic writer wait. Nothing fancy. How about you? What are you working with this morning? Today I have the queer tarot deck, which is it's based heavily on the Rider Waite in terms of symbolism, but it's a lot brighter. It's, it's a fun deck. Cool. Yeah, I need to branch out a little bit, but it's just one of those things. How many tarot decks do you need, Paolo? You know what I'm saying? That is that is the question. <laughs> don't ask me how many I have because I can't tell you. I don't want to get you in trouble with your partner. Yeah, let's just keep that a secret. Yeah. Okay. All righty. I just drew the three of wands, which for folks that aren't familiar with the tarot, shows the the back of a figure staring off to this open expanse, holding three wands that look like they're just stuck in the ground, right? Almost like columns or something like that. So it Um, looks like a very reflective card. That is. I think that's a good sign for the next hour together. What'd you draw? I like that. I did a three as well, but it's the three of swords. Dun, dun, dun. For those of you who aren't familiar, this is a pretty iconic image. It's an image of a heart with three swords pierced through it. Um, a lot of this has a lot to do with heartbreak, sadness, but we're dealing with the realm of swords, so that's in the mind. So a lot of it is just thinking about mental heartbreaks or mental anguish that's taking a toll on your heart. So three and three, wow. And we're twinning too like with our clothes right now. So this is uh, picking up on some energy here. When we hopped onto this call, we're both wearing what I would call a toboggan, but the rest of the world would call a knit cap or a beanie. Yeah, We're both wearing orange toboggans and we were both wearing dark hoodies. Yeah, dark blue hoodies, yeah. Okay, we're not going to totally nerd out on the tarot at this moment because folks, we're going to have a little bonus conversation where we just let the freak flag fly. Uh, After this conversation, we'll be focused more on textiles, but... I will say that when I think of three, I also think of um, generation and something new coming into the world, right? It's yeah. Two is balance, and then three is movement forward from that. Right. It's uh, expansion, which is really cool. Cool to think okay. about. Let's expand and reflect, shall we? Yeah. Let's do that. I knew the first question that I wanted to ask you, Paolo, when you agreed to be on the show. And I don't know why this question came to me the way it did, but we're just going to follow the hunch, okay? And the question is, I found myself really thinking about you as a child (laughs) and wanting to know what was little Paolo's relationship to textiles? Oh, wow. Yeah, so growing up, uh, I come from a military family, so we moved around a lot. My dad was in the Navy. Uh, My mom had a bunch of different jobs, one of which was she was a seamstress. So she spent a lot of time sewing And she had a a small little room in our house, which was basically like a walk-in closet where she had her sewing machine. And I just remembered her sewing. She sewed all of my sister and I's costumes for Halloween. And she made a lot of our clothes. She matched a lot of our clothes, (laughs) speaking of twinning. So my sister and I always had like matching outfits, no matter what. So yeah, my, my earliest recollections were of my mother in her little sewing closet, hemming and mending other people's clothes, but then also making clothes for us. And I remembered as she was sewing in her little sewing closet, 
she often worked from patterns, McCall's, those patterns. And I remembered as a kid, like drawing the illustrations of the figures that were dressed in whatever it was that you were trying to sew. So there, there was this drawing and sewing thing that was happening at a pretty early age. Oh, that's phenomenal that you've stayed on that track or that the track was so visible even from an early age. It was. There were some, what would you say? Like I veered off into different mm-hmm. paths before a coming back. A few deviations. Yeah, deviations. Yeah. Hey, that's okay. Yeah, no, it wasn't a direct path. You know, and as someone who sews in the little tiny Eden portion of their kitchen here in Brooklyn, I'm like hard relate with your mom in the sewing closet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you got to make it work. No, totally. Work with what you have with the space that you have. That's yeah, right. for sure. Now, did she teach you to sew or was that something that came about later? No, that came about like in 2016, much later. I took some classes at the Textile Art Center in Brooklyn. Amazing. It's an amazing resource. I learned so much sewing, weaving, dyeing, lots of different things. So what happened in 2016 that inspired you to sign up for some sewing classes? In 2016, I was invited to be a visiting artist at the Tyler School of Art in Philadelphia in their fibers and material studies department. And so the whole premise of of that invitation was to translate one of the paintings that I was doing, because I was making paintings at the time, I was making these abstract paintings. Um, um, Jesse Harrod had invited me to translate one of my paintings into a weaving on a Jacquard TC2 loom. And at the time, I had no idea what a TC2 loom was, but I was fascinated. And so I said, yeah, let's do this. So I spent a week at Tyler working on this jacquard loom and making three different weavings. Can you describe a little bit about what this, what makes this loom special? This loom is digital. It's, it's connected to a computer. So what you do is you have a, a computer file, an image file of what it is that you want to weave, and then you plug that into you know, computerized. And uh, it's hooked up to this loom, which is completely digital, and it can um, weave all the intricate patterns without having to do a lot of fancy footwork. You know, it, it does it all for you. So what I really did the whole time was just play around with yarn and color, and the patterns would just come through. And so at the time, my paintings were abstract and geometric, and they were referencing textiles anyway. And so this just was the logical thing to do. And that experience was a game changer. It completely shifted the trajectory of my work. And it was the beginning of my obsession with textiles. And that week I was working with two amazing weavers who were teaching at Tyler at the time, Crystal Gregory and Robin Kang. And they saw how enthusiastic I was about the process. And they were like, you know what? If you are really into this, there's this place called the Textile Art Center in Brooklyn. You need to go and take classes. And after that week, I went straight to the Textile Art Center and signed up for a sewing class and some weaving classes. And it was, it's just been an amazing journey since then. A few episodes back, I talked with weaver Rachel McGinnis. Are you familiar with Rachel's work? Yes. And I listened to that episode. Oh, what a fantastic episode. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of crossover here. And I ask her this question that I'll ask you too, which is, When you discovered textiles, because that's still pretty recent memory for you, right? In the last decade. When you discovered textiles, what do you remember textiles allowing you to do in your practice that maybe painting didn't or hadn't opened up for you? That is, I mean, that is such a big 
question. And it's, I love that question because that week that I spent at Tyler weaving, I had felt it in my bones, like this feeling that I needed to be working with textiles. There was something about the material and about the process that just, I, and I have chills talking about it right now. There's just something about the material and the process that really, truly made me so much more aware of textiles, how they're made. And it gave me a greater respect for them as a material. And then also textiles as a material gave me so much in terms of just paint, right? Because paint paint is the stand-in. Paint becomes this material that you use to, to depict other things. And textiles, whether they're from secondhand clothing or you know found textiles, there's already a history and there's already a story in there. And it's just you as sort of the person who's um, translating that story into form, right? And so to me, all of that was such an eye-opener and it was such a game-changer. And there's just so much to unpack with that, right? And it, that's one of the things that keeps me working in the studio is the love of the material, the love of the process of making. It really just became this obsession, like working with textiles. It was like, why haven't I done this sooner? But then at, at the same time, it's like things things happen. I, I truly believe that things happen when they're supposed to happen. And I needed to have gone through whatever it was and, and make paintings. And the paintings that I made were what, what led me to making or working with textiles. And I also have uh, Jesse Herod to thank for that. So Jesse, if you're listening, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. It, it's funny. I, I was thinking something very similar this morning sitting on the couch. So I woke up inexplicably around 5 a.m., still dark outside. And I'm like, well, let me go quilt on this little thing I'm quilting on this. I found this shirt about three weeks ago, washed up on the beach at Brighton Beach. And it is gorgeous, Paolo. I, can't, I, I need to show you in person because the way that the salt water and the sun and whatever like mechanical abrasion has happened to that shirt has just made it an object of true beauty, right? And so I'm stitching this down on a piece of, well, a, a variety of materials, but I was working on a panel this morning that had this uh, almost like a periwinkle blue linen. And as I was watching the thread go in and out, I was like, I'm going to work with linen for the rest of my life. Like this is just so <laughs> gorgeous. The way that like linen has a little bit of body, it has a little bit of flounce between the stitches, but it also has a little bit of crinkle as an edge, right? So there's just something happening. Yeah. And so here's where it connects with what you were saying. I was like, at, at least as someone who works with textiles compared to maybe a painter, I'm not a painter, I don't know. But someone who works with textiles, I feel like I'm I'm very quick to give a lot of credit to the material itself. It's it's part me, but it's a lot the material. Yes. I, I think for me, just thinking it all just made sense because all the paintings that I had been making were always abstract. They were always geometric. They always referenced the grid. Lots of textiles and pattern. And for the longest time, I just... I had this aversion to working with textiles as just the thing, right? It, it, and so there's just something in in the, it's the haptic quality of textiles, right? Like you feel it. There's just something that's transmitted through textiles, right? There's like an energy, there's like a power that is transmitted from the object to me. And, and then that's what then in turn becomes something else that I'm translating. So I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, 110% does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So when you and I got together recently, we went yeah. to see your show that you titled Loom Songs. 
Can you tell us a little bit about why you named it Loom Songs and then describe the show for us? Yeah. So Loom Songs was a solo exhibition that I recently had at Morgan Lehman Gallery in Chelsea. Um, and it was the first time that I had exhibited all handwoven work. Because prior to then, I had been exhibiting more sewn, quilted, well, well using quilt-like processes, but not necessarily quilted, uh, fabric paintings. And so Loom Songs was the very first time that I, ex I exhibited um, handwoven pieces. And why I decided to call the show Loom Songs refers directly to my background as a classical pianist. Growing up, I, I played the piano. I went to college to study music and performance. I thought that I was going to be a classical pianist, um, but that obviously didn't happen. But music has always still remained. It lingers. You know, it's I, I, the way that I make work um, and the way that I think about music are similar. Ooh, say more about that. There is a language that both music and visual arts share. And when you're talking about color, composition, and harmony, and rhythms, and, you know, dissonance, and things like that, of that nature, for me, the, the loom really feels like playing at the piano, like sitting down at the piano. You know, it's it's this instrument that your body is in tune with. You know, there is a rhythm. There's this natural rhythm that occurs. And I was thinking about the loom as this instrument and thinking about the possibility or thinking about making threads sing, if that makes any sense. Because oftentimes when I work with textiles, before I even begin, it all starts with color. And what I, what I end up doing, especially when I'm sewing pieces, is I'll sew bands of different colors together. To me, that becomes this chord, right? It, it creates the tone of the key, whether it's a major or a minor key, and then all things go from there. And so, um, and the same is similar with working on the loom. You know, I have like different spools of thread, and then I sort of create this visual chord. And to me, it's like seeing sound and then hearing color. Even when I was a painter making paintings in the traditional sense, I always would think about color in terms of, definitely in terms of dissonance and then trying to find harmony in that dissonance. You know, it's not always trying to go for the most tasteful palette right off the block. You know, it's like I'll go to the paint box and look for like the really ugly colors that I've neglected and not paid attention to and, and think like, oh, how, how can we make you like sing? How can we bring you into the choir here and let's get this song going? How would you describe the, the Paolo Couture custom palette? Like what is, <laughs> how would you describe your color sensibility? Oh, geez. I mean, looking back now, I think that there's, there's a lot of um, loud bright, bold colors. And a lot of these colors are referencing palettes that are that are very familiar to me and palettes that I've seen on visits to the Philippines. You know, that there's like these really bold and then sometimes really off-putting colors, but then they work in this like really magical way. Like they're not supposed to, but then they do. And they're just intriguing. It's like, I can't stop thinking about them. So I guess my palette is it's similar in that sense where I take a lot of bold color and then sometimes a lot of color that that's a little too harsh or a little too, um, I think harsh is, 
is not the right word. It's a little too loud, I guess. And I just try to make that work in a way that's that's wrong, but feels right. I like just being just kind of wrong, but also like right in the way that I'm I'm seeing it. I love that. I'm writing it down. A way that feels wrong, but it's right. Yeah. That's wonderful. So in this show, you had three types of weavings that you were sharing with us. Right. I separated it into three different series. So the first, it's a large scale sort of hand-woven, multi-panel strip weavings. And then the second were, were some smaller pieces that were more uh, more of rhythmic studies, right? They were called polyrhythmic studies. And, and it's just sort of a, an amalgamation of different rhythms and different patterns. And then the third were these sort of folded undulating pieces that I still don't, I don't really know what they are yet. And I, I think we talked about this when, when we were at the show. It's like, sometimes I don't know what a piece is until months down the line, um, but it just feels right. And it feels like it needed to be out in the world, but I don't necessarily know for what reason, other than I just feel that it's, it's the time, right? And then, then I then give it more time to then figure out like, why the hell did I put this out there, <laughs> you know? And so what's your process then for letting something like that develop? Do you, after the show, like put it away and not look at it for months? Or do you keep it up in front of you so you can continue to see it every day and interact with it or something else entirely? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but because I'm preparing for another solo show right now, it's kind of, I do kind of have to put this on the back burner and and I, I can't really process that show fully until I'm done with this next show and then maybe I can process both shows concurrently and then see what it all means what it all means yeah that old question (laughs) (laughs) got it check (laughs) well I thoroughly enjoyed that visit with you looking at your work in the Morgan Lehman Gallery that morning and seeing the the stunning showstopper of that first strip weaving piece that you're talking about because how wide was that? Maybe 12, 15? Oh, Am I remembering it bigger than it was? Uh, maybe, I think maybe it was 14 to 15 feet, maybe. So it's, and how many different strip weaves do you have? Oh, Two dozen? Uh, more than that. A lot. There were a right? lot. <laughs> it, was, it was just this decadent, opulent cascade of weavings that are each about six inches wide. And it was just, it was gorgeous to look at up close. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun to weave because it, in a way it's like I saw the big picture of what I I felt that it was going to be. But in the moment of making, you know, there were some other sort of twists and turns that happened, which were unexpected in a very good way. And I think we, we talked about this too, of like a lot of things coming together to create one thing. I mean, it's just like quilt making, right? Like you've got these patchworks that multiply to create this one thing. And so I, you know, with that piece, I wanted it to function in a similar vein, but then I also wanted it to appear as if it was coming together, but then also simultaneously falling apart. And so then that's why um, the strips were, they weren't sewn together. They were held together by the cleat that was up on the wall, but um, I purposefully don't sew them together just because you know, they are standalone individual pieces, but they come together to create this one statement or this one, you know, piece. But that's something that, you know, in my work, um, I 
tend to to utilize often, you know, I, I do these multi-panel pieces and and they're these standalone things. It's just something about the one and the many. And I think in that way, it speaks, in a way it speaks to community about being like, how are we as humans, individuals, and how do we come together as a group, right? And so that's just one of the layers with, with, with that work. But, and, but it's something that, that I, that I always think about in the work that I make. That's beautiful. And we'll, we'll get pictures of all, all of your pieces from this show and other works too in the show notes so people can have the visual to go along with what you've been talking about. Could we spend another moment with the pieces that you felt like were still kind of unresolved? You're not sure how they're really going to, yeah. what's their final form is going to be in the world. They're really intriguing. And you and I spent a number of minutes looking at them and thinking about them from different angles because they were... Well, you could probably describe it better than I could, but you took these weavings and they just kind of rolled and folds on each other, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. No. So I think the thing that with those pieces I was thinking about was with weaving, because it takes so long to set up a loom and to weave, you you naturally want to show everything that you make, right? And so I was intrigued by this idea of putting in all this labor and this work, but only revealing some of it. But knowing that it's there, that it's hidden underneath, that there are these layers, that's one one thing that I was thinking about with that. And then also thinking about this, this notion of time and how time necessarily isn't linear. Even though the piece was woven in a linear fashion, for me, I think that time is cyclical, right? Or spherical. Things return and there's like a cycle to things where where. It feels like you're going straight, but really you're veering off into this weird sphere. But then you, you make many returns, right? Um, and, and it's just over and over again what this is. Um, and so to me, it's sort of visualizing that too, where, where time folds in on itself, where there are many layers that can be happening simultaneously that's visible and also not visible. You know, like there are these other forces underneath, this other energy underneath. Or even just thinking about what it is you choose to show to the world. What's what's external versus what's internal. And I think also just one other thing with that is that because a lot of the work that I make is very wall-based, that was an attempt to sort of like come off the wall a little bit or like roll off the wall. <laughs> Let's get three inches off the wall. But then like I can see them coming off the wall entirely. Like we were, we were talking about this and like actually being in space and taking up more space and not just the periphery. So that'd be a marvel. Yeah. I would love to see that. But I, I just think that there's something funny about them. Like they make me smile, those pieces. And yeah, I'm not entirely sure what they are, but I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah, the, the words that just came to my mind now in this moment is that these pieces are kind of like, drippy or gloopy or something right yeah no all that like there's a liquid quality to them they definitely have i mean they're kind of sassy they've got a little bit of attitude to them right and i think that's why i'm so interested in them that they're not like these static things that are just hanging on the wall i mean they kind of don't want to be on the wall so love it i've recently made a couple of I don't know. I found myself thinking a lot about time recently as well, connecting back to that aspect of these pieces. And I've made a couple of what I'm, I'm kind of, how do I want to say this? So I'm calling these pieces in my mind like 
alternate clocks or alternate ways of keeping time or something like that. And it started with this garment that I found in one of the intersections here in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. There was this button up olive green shirt that must have been there for weeks, Paolo, because it was like flat as a pancake and it had been bleached in the sun. Right. So that when I picked it up and like... (laughs) (laughs) like pried it open you could see where the sun had hit and then where the sun wasn't able to penetrate into the creases right so it gave this really interesting natural bleaching pattern and looking at this garment you can see all the phases of this garment's life represented side by side right so in a sense that time isn't linear but maybe it's more like block time like you know time scientists call it right all things exist at once right like past future present all together because you could look at this garment and you couldn't see the original cotton color, of course, right? Because the creaminess got bleached out. But you could see that industrial bleached white in portions where the seam, where I ripped it open. And then you could see where it was dyed olive green. And then you could see where the sun had bleached it. And then you could see where I had used some um, discharge paste to remove some of the color, right? So you saw all these different hours of this garment's life coexisting side by side. And to me, that was just such a powerful statement on on time and how we inhabit time. That's gorgeous. Do you have an image of that piece? I do. I'll send it to you. That that just sounds amazing. For sure. Yeah. And I'll post in the show notes too. I don't want to leave y'all out. Good dear <laughs> listeners. <laughs> and then there was another one. I was gifted a quilt by my partner's father. His mother had made it for him. And for the batting of this quilt, she was just making do. Right. You know, folks use what they had. And so she had a chenille bedspread that had like a real bumpy, coarse texture to it, right? That was most of the batting. There was a, a there was like a three inch strip down yeah. the side because it wasn't quite big enough that she used an old ace bandage <laughs> to like make up the gap. It was amazing. I love that. But what was so interesting about this quilt to me is that because she had used a chenille bedspread in between the patchwork and the and the backing, the chenille where the embroidered stitches were raised had created this interesting abrasion yeah. pattern over the decades and had worn oh, wow. through the patchwork. And so the the chenille stitches formed like a saddle it was like a whole western cowboy theme and you could look at this patchwork quilt that was still mostly intact but then see the chenille stitches where they had rubbed through the patchwork in the form of a saddle i mean it's pretty amazing right like you can't make a quilt do this thing right it just has to happen right and so for me that was such an interesting observation about you know sometimes folks say that uh history things that have like you know slavery let's say was so long ago. But we're seeing here in this quilt that a choice that my partner's grandmother made back in the 50s is continuing to have reverberations right. here in 2023, right? Is Nothing right, yeah. is ever that long ago. Everything continues to echo and reverberate. Yeah, like mentioned before, there, there are many returns, right? It, it's the cycle. Maybe we need to get a little group show together of alternate timepieces. Hey, let's do it. I, I'm all about this. Let's do it. Before we wrap up with Loom Songs, Paolo, I got a question for you. And that is, if when you're sitting at the Loom, you are the piano player, right? what songs are you weaving? How would you describe those songs? Wow, that, that is a really good question. I think it just, it depends on what it is that I'm weaving. You know, I listen to a lot of Philip Glass when I'm weaving or when I'm working on a loom because it is very rhythmic and very repetitive. And for some reason, that just gets me in 
in the zone of, of weaving. And then other times, you know, if I'm weaving something that's not so pattern based or if like it's just like a lot of area of plain weave or something, then I can I can be a little bit more free with what I listen to. And, um, you know, maybe I'll listen to something faster just to, to weave a little bit faster. Um, but then other times I'll sit and listen to audiobooks or podcasts, not necessarily music, because then in a way when I'm listening to a podcast or, or an audiobook when I'm weaving, it, it allows my mind to wander, but my body is still working. And then I come back and then it's just... Sometimes I'm surprised in a good way. And then other times it's like, oh, what the hell did I just do? And, uh, you know, then I've got to unweave some things. But yeah, I think it just depends on the nature of what it is. But usually it tends to be very rhythmic without lyrics. I think that just helps with focus. Paolo, another piece that I knew I want to talk to you about that you made some time back. I saw it once and it just has kind of lodged itself in my mental battery of images. And that was the series of pieces that you made inspired by Filipino sales. Yep. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what those mean to you? Yeah. So I made those Vinta sales in 2020 when I was on a residency at the Bemis Center in Omaha. And at the time I was researching a lot of textiles from the Philippines, mainly weaving. But in the book that I was reading, an image of these sails came up and it just, there was just something that really hit me. It just stopped me because they felt so much like the sewn paintings that I was making. Like there was this connection to not only the geometry of them, but the color. It just felt like I was seeing one of my paintings on a sail, like on a boat, right? I was just like, wow, this is so interesting. And so you know, these Vinta sails, they're on these outrigger boats in the southern Philippines. And a lot of the people who have these boats make their sails for their boats. So they're highly individual. And I believe that there's, there is this festival that happens where everyone breaks out their outrigger boats. And then it's just the whole shoreline is lined with all these colorful sails. But it's just, it's just breathtaking to think of the color and the pattern floating on the water in that way. Um, it's just really magical. And so I was at the Bemis Center in, in Omaha, which is, you know, the first time that I ever spent a long period of time in the Midwest and in a landlocked state. And so it had me thinking about missing the water because all my life I've always grown up close to the water. And to me, being in Omaha, I was at this residency for three months. It was just, it was this sense of feeling out of place. And I love this idea of these sails having nowhere to go really. And it's just like, you know, I wanted to see them in this place. It was to me feeling or responding to that out of placeness, if that makes sense. And so because I was at this residency, there were these enormous installation spaces that were available to us. And that just allowed me to dream big and then also to realize those dreams while I was there. And so when I saw that image, I was like, you know, I have to, this feels so much about what I'm feeling right now. That sounds like a marvelous thing to see. Have you seen them in person? I have not seen them in person. No. And in the book that I have, it was like a picture like this big. I was like, what 
is this? It was kind of that same feeling when I was weaving on the on the jacquard loom. It was just like all it was in my body that there was this response, right? It was this visceral response. Um, and it was the same thing when I saw that image. I was like, this is so surreal. And it's like, why is this, why is this like impacting me on such an immense scale? It had everything to do with where I was at, you know, being away from home, not being in a place that felt familiar. And so to me, um, yeah, it just spoke to all of that. It sounds like this event where they bring out all the the sails and the boats would be worth traveling for. Oh man, yeah, I sure. I think that's that's on my list of yeah. of things to see in my lifetime. Hopefully, it makes me think of like the the when G's Ben they air out their quilts and they write, but there's quilts on display. Or, oh yeah, or like you go out to the Southwest and there's like a hot air balloon festival. Like all of these things are just like oh yeah, gotta go. You gotta see it. Here's what. I'm going to give you some homework and you can take as long as you need to with this. Okay. You and I have a mutual friend, Leslie yeah. Rogers. I got to spend winter residency last January with her at Penland. And I think yeah. you two know each other from Haystack. Is that correct? Yes. We were at a residency at Haystack together, but then I also spent some time with her at Penland. So that's right. So, so when we were together in Penland, she was making a quilt out of milkweed fiber because milkweed fiber is naturally buoyant, right? For a long time, we used it in life preservers because it has these flotation qualities. And so I just feel like between you and Leslie, there needs to be some more sales. Mm, I see where you're going with this, yes? You see, this is your homework. So homework of a lifetime, no rush, no deadline. Just think <laughs> about it. Yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I don't even know if Leslie has finished this project, but the ultimate goal, because she is so much about performance as well, she's about object and performance, was that she was going to float this quilt out on the water and wear like this matching quilted uniform outfit and try to float on it. Do you know where this project stands? You know, when we were at Penland together this summer, she was working on the outfit. And I don't know if it was for this this project in particular or if it was for a different different project, but she was working on an outfit. And then I think also um, a quilt that related to this project too. So... Yeah, super fascinating. I might have to get her on seam side next so we can just follow this train of thought <laughs> and see where it goes. Yeah, maybe call you back in. Oh, yeah. So y'all can start your brainstorming. Make a cameo. <laughs> well, let's stick with Bemis for a second because you made the sales there when you were there in 2020? 2020, yeah. And you're going back, right? What's happening there soon? I am. Well, so um, I have a solo exhibition opening on December 9th. Uh, the exhibition is called Reverberations. So, you know, sort of tying it on to the Loom Songs sort of theme. Um, and also in this show, I will be showing stone pieces as well as hand-woven pieces. There is a piece that I made or I am making called Collective Comfort, and it's an evolving quilt. And I will show the entirety of it in its current state right now which is about 12 by 40 feet is that all it's just you know just like a small little thing initially that was supposed to be a quilt that i was going to make for my bed and it it became this huge huge other project so what was that moment where it switched from being a project for your bed to uh, a larger project that was going to be part of your creative practice well i i should first 
talk about how that initially started. You know, whenever I'm in the studio working and I get stuck on a certain piece, I I have to turn to something else to just get my mind off off of think overthinking the piece, right? And so um, what I ended up doing was just taking remnants and scraps that were on the studio floor and just I just started making eight by eight inch blocks, right? They were just anything and like I wasn't really caring about color or how how they were composed. I was sewing pieces together and I had an eight inch template. I would cut it and be like, that's it, right? It was just a way to stop thinking, but then also a way to think through my hands. And so I began to call those my anxiety blocks, right? It was a way for me to deal with anxiety. And so I thought, why don't I make a quilt? Because this is really, I, I love this idea of something being born out of anxiety and then becoming something of a, um, like a source of comfort, right? And, and I hadn't really made a quilt ever, really. Um, big reveal there. I, I, I've only made one quilt in my life, um, but this was going to be a quilt that I was going to make for my bed. Um, and I started making this quilt for my bed. And once I finished, I was like, wait a minute, this, I feel like this needs to keep going. And so then it stopped being for me and my bed and it's just grown into this massive thing. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's this tangential project that's ongoing that I like to have because um, anytime I'm stuck with the work, I know that I can just cut it up. Or if it's a failed work, I can cut it up and it can get repurposed into this quilt. And so um, it lives on in a different way. And it also allows me to, to take a little bit more risks and not be too precious with the work that I make, because I know that if it fails, it's going to go into this other piece. And then, you know, it's like a win-win situation. But that's, that's how it started. And, and now it's just continuing indefinitely. As long as I make really bad paintings, it's going to keep going. And I'm, I can pretty much guarantee that, that that's going to happen. So, Well, all the quilters out there listening are hoping you make the worst paintings of your life <laughs> so you can keep growing that quilt. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I got to ask, so just because I'm curious. So is it, have you actually quilted it yet or is it still the patchwork top? No, it's just right now, it's, it's technically just the quilt top. There mm -hmm. are some quilted patches within it, but... It's just a quilt top. The, the edges aren't finished. It's and they're all in panels. They're in multiple panels, not one giant thing. Um, and so they're modular in that sense. Yeah, can't wait to see where that one goes. Me too. So, Paolo, how about we wrap up with the quintessential question I try to always ask, whether I remember it or not? How has working with textiles made you more human, or what is the inner work of textiles for you? I think for me, it has allowed me to really slow things down. Um, and it's, it's given me the space to reflect and contemplate, to connect to my heritage. I was born in the Philippines, but we moved to the United States when I was a very, I, I was very young, I was two. And so for me, I've had this loss of who I am, my identity and, Working with textiles has brought all that back up to the surface, right? And it just made me realize that I had suppressed a lot of that growing up. And, and now I'm finding connections or feelings that I've had with my work that exist already with like the history of textiles from the Philippines. It's like I, it's an embodied sort of feeling, right? It's like I know these feelings are connected to something greater than myself and something that I'm connected to. And, um, 
you know, it's something that I'm still, it's all a work in progress and, um, and it changes and what I'm making and how I'm thinking about it has changed. And I, I'm so curious about what's going to happen next with the work. And I think it goes back to this idea of how are we more human with textiles and it's letting go of this idea of perfection, right? That things are raw and in progress and, you know, they're forming as we go. And it's made me realize that working with textiles that, you know, you can allow all of that. I can accept it and allow it and I can share that. And it's still something that I'm learning from. I can't imagine a better place to leave this conversation. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with my good friend Paolo as much as I did. We got so caught up in conversation, we never circled back around to the cards that we pulled. But don't worry, coming out in a few days, we'll have that bonus feature where we really nerd out when it comes to the tarot. And we'll circle back then. Now, before I let you go, I got a little bit of homework for you. You didn't think Paolo was the only one getting an assignment, did you? So here we go. Number one. Make sure you have entered the Seamside giveaway if you want a chance for that annual membership to the Nook in 2024. It's a small pool, so your chances are pretty good. Homework assignment number two. Yeah, there's two. Sorry about that. But if you've never left me a review, but you're sitting here thinking, dang, I really like this Seamside podcast. Would you do that for me? Just take a moment and write one on Apple Podcasts, maybe a little five-star review. I sure would appreciate it. It is the number one best way to help other folks find the magic that is Seamside. In the meantime, I hope you're well. I hope you're sowing something good. And I hope to see you soon. Maybe on the nook. Who knows? <laughs>